This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today's guest is Mark Silverman. Mark Silverman is an executive coach, an author, and a podcast host. He works with leaders and their teams around the world to address the underlying behaviors and mindsets that sabotage all time management and productivity tools. His story is just uh, really um, hard to believe. Uh, where he started out and, and the tough times he had as, as a young adult. And then uh, again in midlife, he went through some really tough times. So from all those uh, tough experiences, he's learned a lot and honed his skills and now helps a lot of people get uh, through the overwhelm. And I see so many uh, people in, in business and today that are just overwhelmed. So I think he's got some good ideas and uh, it was a great discussion with him today. So uh, just um, enjoy the conversation I have with, I had today with Mark Silverman. Mark, welcome to the program. It's really great to have you today. Thanks. I really appreciate having the conversation. So let's uh, just jump right in. Uh, you know, I, I usually like to start with a little background, where you grew up, and and kind of how you got to where you are today. But uh, you have a real compelling story because you went through some high, hard times in your late twenties. So just fill us in a little bit as to uh, where you grew up and uh, what happened during that tough time. Sure, I grew I grew up on uh, Long Island. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, grew up on Long Island in the sixties uh, and seventies. So a couple couple days from now, I'll be sixty years old. Oh, okay. uh, it's, it's so it's so interesting to you know to talk about my story. Uh, when I go out and I speak, uh, I get a little sick of uh, my own my own shtick. And uh, a couple times, I've skipped my story, and and the people who have uh, hired me to speak ask if I would I would I would bring it back because it is it's it's unconventional. So uh, back way back when uh, about. 1989, uh, I drove into Washington, D.C. My brother owned a bunch of restaurants. And I drove into Washington, D.C., living in my truck. I was 120, 130 pounds and, uh, you know, 27 years old with no prospects for life. I was basically a, you know, a, um, a drunk, a drug addict, a sex addict, and, you know, just had no life skills whatsoever. So when I got sober, he, you know, I got here, he told me that uh, I could stay with him. And he'd lend me some money and, you know, help me help me get back on my feet if I went to AA meetings. And I took some college classes and I went to the gym with him. So I did those things. And I did those things with a vengeance. So, I, you know, I got my college degree. Uh, several years later, you know, I found myself in a, you know, a million-dollar house driving, a, you know, driving a sports car, uh, you know, and a millionaire with two kids and a wife. And, uh, you know, the joke I tell is I'm a short Jewish Tony Robbins. Uh, you know, yeah. so, so, so for me, it, it was kind of whiplash. And what happened was I got successful in the tech industry. I'm a, I'm a rabid, rabid introvert. You know, one of the things I learned when I quit drinking was I, you know, I was an introvert and I was really uncomfortable around people. So what did I go into sales? Oh, <laughs> because great. I, took a, okay. I, 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 I went to, I, I went and took an assessment and they said I should either be a lawyer or a salesman. 
And I was like, I'm not going to go to school for law, law so uh, I'll be a salesman. And I remember my first, uh, I, I went to, to go uh, interview with a copy, with a copier machine uh, company. And if you remember back then, those, that was door-to-door sales. That sure. was you know, knocking on office doors. Right. And I remember, I remember the sales manager when I came back for my first day uh, with, with, with the guy to see if I was going to be, a, he said, Silverman, do me a favor. Don't ever become a salesman. <laughs> he says, you do not have the stomach for it. You do not have the personality for it. You should not be a salesman. Uh, when I bought my Mercedes, I drove back to his office. I said, I am now a millionaire. I am an excellent sales guy. Uh, and I just want you to know you were wrong. And he was so gracious, and he was, su- he was such a good guy. But I would never have sold um, copiers. The interesting thing was, because I grew up poor, because I, you know, had this beginning, the two things that were going on with me, one is I was pedaling faster than anybody else. I was doing everything I could not to be seen as that homeless loser guy, right? So, so my motivation internally wasn't a healthy thing. I was trying to prove everybody wrong. I was trying to prove things to myself. So I never, I never took a break for myself. You know, I, and this, and I was the same way in my relationships with, you know, taking care of my elderly parents and, and in my family, I was all things to all people all the time. And, you know, fast forward a few years, I started to burn out. So, uh, and, you know, what happens in midlife with a lot of people, it takes its toll on your family. It takes its toll, your toll on your psyche. And you know, now, as an executive coach and researching this and all that stuff, I realized I was overwhelmed and I was burnt out uh, and I was running on fumes because I wasn't coming from a healthy place. But back then, all I knew was I was blowing up my life. And uh, you know, women tend to, when they get in that space, go into adrenal fatigue. Uh, I don't know if you've ever met a woman who's, you know, gone down, you know, they go, they go out and they, you know, they compete in a man's world and they compete in a man's world in a man's way. And then they hit that wall. And when a woman goes down with adrenal fatigue, it takes months, if not years for them to build back up and then come at business and success from a, from a more sustainable and different way. Men tend to blow things up when we, when we've had, when we've had enough, we tend to either blow up our health we blow up our jobs or we blow up our families. And I blew up everything. My health, my health went, went to crap. Uh, I started having panic attacks and, and um, I started getting sick a lot. I couldn't sell anymore. My marriage fell apart. And this was, this was back in 2009. So stone cold sober, everything fell apart. And I couldn't understand why, since I wasn't drinking, I wasn't doing drugs, I was trying to do everything right, uh, nothing was working. Uh, and in that year, that was that was that was the real turning point in my life. Uh, when I lost my when I lost my marriage, when I lost my career, uh, and I lost my health, and you know that's the whole midlife crisis thing, where you know kind of the kind of the universe, God, whatever, says, "All right, what you were doing isn't working. We're going to have to you know put you know throw in all our cards and take in a whole new deck." Uh, I was diagnosed, misdiagnosed, and I thought I was going to die because uh, I was just so sick. And I, I, um, I, I made a decision that if I was going to die, I was going to do three things. And I, this keeps coming back up for me because uh, you know this, this focus thing uh, has become much more important to me. I've decided I need to show my kids what you do with tragedy. If I'm going to die, I want to leave a legacy for my kids that I wasn't such a loser. Uh, again, still trying to erase that homeless thing. 
And uh, so I decided I was going to make a million dollars so I could leave that to my ex-wife and my kids. I didn't know how I was going to do that. My career was, you know, in the toilet and it was, you know, but I wanted to make a million dollars and leave that to them so that I didn't leave my family in a lurch. I decided I was going to run the Marine Corps Marathon because I heard an ultra marathon guy on the radio talking about how everybody can run and I couldn't run a mile. But I decided I was going to run the Marine Corps Marathon uh, so that I could show this to my kids. And uh, then I was going to give $60,000 to charity just to make up for how much I hated myself. And what happened was I focused on those three things. Talk about the law of attraction. Talk about creating out of thin air. I got a new job right after that. Someone gave me an opportunity at another startup. So I got, I got a new job. Um, I started training for the marathon. Uh, and a year later, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon. <laughs> which was an absolute miracle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. It was like, like it was, it was crazy. And I, by the way, I don't recommend training for a, a marathon in five months uh, because I had four surgeries on my foot after that uh, from, from pushing it too hard. But um, I, but I also made the million dollars and I gave the $60,000 to charity. And what I found at the end of that year was my, my family, my family was doing okay. My career was soaring. My health was better. Um, but I still wasn't in great shape. Like, you know, now I'm not going to die. Now what do I do? While I was running and training, I was listening to all the self-help books you could ever hear, every spiritual book, every self-help book, every positive psychology book. And I was really learning how to put together a new person. So when I came back to success, I came back to success with two perspectives, one being a poor kid and uh, someone who who didn't you know didn't have much, uh, and also someone who lost it all again. So when I came back to success, I came back at it with a very different perspective. That I wanted it to be sustainable. I wanted it to be about my relationships with people, and uh, you know, I, and I wanted it to be something that I enjoyed. Uh, so I really worked on that. You know, it's just yeah, sort of, it's just interesting yeah. hearing your story, and and I it makes me think that the addictive personality that, that you obviously had that got you in big trouble may have also been you know, the personality that, that made you successful so fast. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it could be good or bad depending on how you use it. And it sounds like you've been through both with that uh, kind of personality. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, with ADHD, you know, we're, we're, we're either going to be like the, the champ, the Titans of industry, or we're going to be the, you know, <laughs> the, the degenerates in the, in the society. And we, you know, we can, we can go back and forth between the two. Uh, so yeah, so that high, that hyper-focus was, was definitely something. So after a while, you know, after I was successful for a while, I was real, I, you know, I just realized that all I cared about was the fact that because I'm such an introvert, I see when I, if I go to a party or if I go to any function, I'm usually the guy in the kitchen washing dishes or, you know, just or having a one-on-one -on -one deep conversation. And what I realized was that people were falling apart in the background, just like I did. So all the pretty cars, all the pretty houses, all the pretty vacations, all that stuff, that it was an epidemic that, you know, we had made uh, a pact to be in the 1% and the acceptable collateral damage was our health, was our relationships, right? Was our well-being, was our happiness. And I, and I just watched it over and over and over again that people just thought this is how it had to be in order to be where we were. And you know, what would make up for it is a nice vacation or a car or, some, or some, you know, someone on the side to make us feel better. 
uh, and I just dedicated my life to showing people that it, that, that it was different, that they could be different and it, and, and, and that they could enjoy life. So, so that's, that's how I got to here. Yeah. So it's, so what, what, what if, I mean, it, it's a big question and I'm sure you learned a lot, but during all that, you learned something that you came back and you did it a different way. And so now you're doing it in a way where you're still successful and you're still maybe, as you say, in that 1%, but you uh, are not, are not killing yourself. So what did you learn and, and how did you make it happen? I learned, I learned that I had choices. I never knew I had a choice. I never knew I was free. Right. If they if, if, if they put something on my tombstone, I would want to put on, you know, my tombstone, you know, anybody who walked by, you are actually free. I thought everything I did was because I had to do everything. Uh, I never thought I had a choice in how I was living. I, you know, it was kind of that victim mentality. I have to work to support my kids. I have to work to prove that I'm this. I have to do this. I have to do that. And, and I never knew that everything in life is a choice. And that I was free to make those choices. And I made choices that led to the life that I had. And now I can make different choices. So I'm, you know, I made, I made choices that my health was uh, a priority. I made, health, I made choices that my mental health was, uh, was a priority. I had gone on a retreat and I found, I found some spiritual peace that I had never had in my life. I made the decision that my spiritual peace was more important than uh, anything else. And out of that spiritual peace, I would be a better father. I'd be a better husband. I'd be a better everything. So I, I, I realized that I had choices and that I could create the life that I wanted. If I was, if I did, if I, if I stepped out of the automatic conditioning and stepped into, you know, actually consciously creating, I could create something different. And not only choices, it sounds like you're also doing things for the wrong reasons. <clears throat> well, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, the book I was going to write and the, the podcast I used to have was called Mastering Midlife. And the premise there is the drives and motivations that get you through your 20s and 30s turn on you uh, in your 40s and 50s. So I don't know anybody who's uber successful who comes at it from a successful place. There usually is a drive from childhood. There's usually a, something pr to prove to yourself. And those unconscious things that drive us in our, in our 20s and 30s Sometime in midlife, we start to reckon with that, uh, and and the, you know the cracks come, and it, you know life whispers to you, you know you need to change, you need to look at some of these stuff. Some maybe it's childhood traumas, maybe it's decisions that you made, that kind of thing. Maybe maybe you're you know you're that whole saying where you're climbing the ladder, but is it the ladder on the right building, right? Maybe maybe you you start to think about those things, and if you don't listen, life tends to get louder and louder. And helps you blow things up, and that's where the midlife crisis comes in. And I didn't listen. <laughs> okay, and uh, you know one of the the themes of um, of your books and uh, and your, your the podcast that you do, and and you already mentioned it earlier, is is people just being overwhelmed. So, as a executive coach now, how do you how do you help people get out of that overwhelmed uh, lifestyle? Uh, the, but so let's. We, I start with their to-do list, right? So I start. I start with what's on their plate, uh, and I and I help people look at. You know, how many people have come up to you? And goes, oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't even have time for lunch. I can't do this. I can't do that. Uh, and it's a badge of honor to be busy. So I confront the things that people are doing, uh, uh, you know, in their in their every day, and have them look at why things are on their list, why they're taking things on. 
when they start to look at their list, especially if they're executives in, in organizations, they start to see that a lot of things on their list really should be delegated. They start looking at things on their list that, that aren't that important, that take their eye off the ball of what really is important, right? So the, ur the urgent, unimportant kind of stuff, uh, they see that there's things on their list that's just a distraction. They start to look at all these things. They look at, like, uh, how many times have you had something on your list of uh, things to do that's a good idea, and it's on your list today, and it's on your list next week, and it's on your list the following week, but it never gets done. Right? And then you start to look at it, it's like, you actually weren't committed to it in the first place. You just put it on your list because it's a good idea. So we get rid of all that clutter. Now we have to deal with you know, the internal struggle with why you don't delegate. And often, you know, then we run into the hero complex. I'm the only one who can, who can do it right, or you know, that, that kind of thing. So when we say, all right, so you've got the hero, product, uh, uh, the, the hero complex, why can't you delegate to your people? Because they won't give me the, the quality work that I was hoping for. Great, why not? Well, they're just not that good. Let's go a little bit deeper. And I'm sure you've run into this over and over again. Sure. Uh, you know, teaching, you know teaching, teaching executives that their job now is more to coach their people than there is to do anything. So most, and you know, that's, why as an, that's why I have a job as an executive coach. Most CEOs don't wanna do this coaching. But when you, you know, you don't want to, it's so much easier at two o'clock in the morning to fix something than to send it back to the person who sent it to you, say, this is what was great. This is how I'd like it improved. Come back to me when it's done and then do the iteration and teach them to do it right. It just takes so much work to do that and so much psychic energy to coach someone into being better that it's easier to do the work at two o'clock in the morning. So we start looking at all these things that are in their world that they don't go upstream and they don't do the work for to help them downstream. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think it's just, uh, I do think that we in school and uh, kind of in our early careers, we are kind of taskmasters. And so uh, it's kind of a way to measure whether you're uh, getting things done and evaluating how well you're doing is by checking things off a list. But when you get to the executive leadership role, uh, it, it's harder to measure and, um, you know, you don't always don't know what, what you're doing is making a, a difference. Therefore, you, you know, it, you want to go back to checking things off a list, but it's, uh, you, you've, you've grown above that. And now you're a leader. You need to, uh, as you said, help others and, and help them learn and grow and, and help them become better at what they do. Yeah. And then new, you know, new, new, new leaders, new managers, and, you know, new people in leadership often fall into the trap of they got where they were by doing, they were the best at what they did. They, you know, the most efficient, they were the most productive. And now they're, they're promoted to a job where their, you know, their metrics for success are completely different. It's success through others. Uh, so the other, some of the other places that I helped, I have two, I have two sayings I teach my clients and, you know, it's um, at first it's kind of going to be horrifying, but my 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 first um, saying is, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. Most of the people I coach are hyper hyper responsible. They care about everything, right? Everything is important. Everything needs to be addressed, uh, and you know, problems in other parts of the organization are their problem also. And I have to teach them that they cannot fix everything, that if they're, if they're watching things that are going on outside their particular organization, they're not, they're not doing their job. So not my circus, not my monkeys is a mantra that I teach my clients. The second one 
is, you know, is this a hill I want to die on? So again, I tend to coach people who go into meetings and they care about everything. So they fight for every little thing that, you know, uh, every, everything needs to be perfect. Everything needs to be done right. And everything needs to be addressed. So I teach them if you, if you, if you're dying on every hill, nobody knows what you really think is important and you're not going to, you're not going to be as effective. So when you, when you, when you're going into meetings and when you're think, figuring out where you want to put your capital behind, what hill is worth dying on laser focus on that, get that done, then pick the next hill. That makes yeah, sense. Absolutely, it's like uh, pick your battles. You know, you can't fight them all. So, which ones uh, are the most important, and, and which ones uh, need your gift is what you have to offer. But when you're done, when you're young and dumb and ambitious, you think you can fight every battle, yeah. and that's that just leads to overwhelm, and you just you just it's just exhausting. Yeah, that that's that's crazy. So, uh, and you talk a little bit about you know the cost of overwhelm. So. Um, you know, I assume what you're saying there is is not just money, but but health and other things that you've you've already referred to. Well, you know, you you, know, you run you run physical therapy. Uh, uh, you know, like you 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 see what you see what stress does to people. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you know that. Do you know the term allostatic load? Yes. You do. You were the first person in thousands of people that I've talked to. I had every audience I asked, do you know what allostatic load is? And I, I, so far I've been batting a thousand. Nobody has known you are the first person to know. Like, well, you know, you, and I'm, I'm the, I was the world's foremost authority until you just said that on allostatic load. Why? Because I read an article about it and did a podcast on it, and everybody decided I was the expert. So basically allostatic load is waking up in the morning and – you know, you, you open up Twitter and you start scrolling Twitter and now you know, you know, who to, who to hate, right? Uh, and then you turn on uh, MSNBC or Fox News uh, in the morning and now you know who to be mad at, right? And then uh, something happens, your kid, your kid doesn't get up for school or, you know, they call you and they say, oh, there's COVID in the school and you have, you know, your kids have to stay home, right? And then, and the stress starts to build. And when you, <laughs> you know, when you when you go out into into your car and you're about to go to work and you drive and someone cuts you off, right? When your allostatic load is high, that level of stress in your body uh, is high. You don't have a lot of capacity to to give them you know the right away. So someone cuts you off, you start to think, you know, should I fly, do I have time before work to follow them and chase them down and tell them how wrong they were, you know? And it, right, so so we're all walking around with this high allostatic load with the political situation, with COVID, with everything, throw on top of that inflation and everything that we're dealing with. So we have that we're all living with a little bit of fight or flight or maybe a lot of fight or flight. And when we're in fight or flight, we have very few resources to us, right? We can run, hide, or fight. Uh, and if, and if, it's, if it's not acute, if you're not like, you know, triggered and ready to go and it's just low level, you're walking around thinking you're fine. So I live around the Washington, D.C. Beltway. We think it's fine, the level of stress that we walk around with. But we have less capacity for a relationship. We have less capacity for creativity. We have le less capacity for everything else in life other than the bare essentials. So lowering our allostatic load, lowering that, that level of constant stress in our, in our psyche and in our bodies is what gives us the capacity to be able to be more effective. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, our bodies were not made 
to be in the, uh, you know, the, uh, the sympathetic nervous system, uh, you know, fight or flight all the time. And I think you described it well is that so many people just are and, and their systems weren't built for that, you know. And so whether it's breathing techniques or meditation or wh whatever it may be to kind of get you back into that parasympathetic nervous system mode uh, is definitely something that, that people can, can um, practice and, uh, you know, help them get out of that uh, fight or flight. Right. You're, you're talking about coping skills, right? The coping skills are eating healthy food, exercise, meditation friendships, right? Those are coping skills. Those, those feed you, those nurture you, that, those replenish you. Instead, we reach for these coping mechanisms because they're fast, they're available, they're easy, they're quick hits, right? So a cookie is so much easier to grab than making a salad, right? It gives, and it, you know, you know, having a glass of wine or a beer you know, to calm down after work is so much easier than saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk around the block. Uh, and we and we so we start weakening ourselves by by you know going for these quick fixes rather than taking the time to get conscious and do the things that are going to feed us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so when you're working with your uh, uh, coaching clients, um, you know you explained that a little bit, but uh, you know what what are you trying to do with them, and what do you find that they need you the most in? What I get hired for and what I do are always usually two different things. Uh, so I, I just I just got off of a call with the CEO and his vice president, who I was hired uh, because his you know his vice president was really rough around the edges and was uh, you know he was a bull in a china closet. He was effective. He was amazing. He was brilliant, but he was making enemies. He was making the CEO's life you know, horrible because they were fighting every time they're in a meeting. He's fighting for everything and all that. So I was hired to kind of give, you know, give him some manners, teach him, teach him, uh, uh, you know, how to behave in this, in this, in this particular setting in a better way. Uh, that was one of the objectives. What happened was he would tell me, oh my God, I went to my doctor. My blood pressure is down for the first time in years. <laughs> he said, my, you know, my wife tells me our relationship is different. My relationship with the kids and her are different since we've been doing these coaching, right? So, what, have, what we do is we get hired for these behavior modifications, and what I really try to do is help them come to peace with themselves. Then I don't have to play whack-a-mole with behaviors. If they change their way of being, then their relationships within the organization and their relationships at home and their relationships with their selves change. And I'm just curious how... how... Uh, what's your what's your batting average on that? I mean, people hate change, and people don't always change, and so they spend the money, they hire you as a coach. Uh, you, what, what's your, what's your experience I'll, been? I'll, do, I'll do go, they figure I'll go, it out? I'll go ninety percent. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll go nine out, nine out of ten. I did have one client uh, who was abused as a kid. We had breakthrough after breakthrough, and then he went and met with the with the abusive uh, parent and came back and threatened me physically. Uh, so that that was a dis, that was a dismal failure, because um, I became the perpetrator once he met with that. You know, so I, I've 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 left you know some some of those things I leave behind. Uh, but generally, if I can get if I can get people to understand that that everything isn't so important, right? That 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 you know, and then I can and I can and I can unhook their identity from their accomplishments. Or I can, or from their failures, or you know, and I can, I can unhook some of that. I can generally lower 
that stress level and the behaviors start taking care of themselves. And then it's much easier to say, oh, when you go into a meeting, why don't you try this phrase? Uh, but first, first we have to, you know, I have one client who uh, is, a, is a, a former professional athlete. Uh, huge, you know, six, six foot four, you know, 300 pounds, just a monster and is in the corporate world. And he was, he, he was, again, someone who was, you know, getting fired up a bull in a China closet. And I was tasked to kind of bring, you know, rein him in a little bit. And I, and I asked him about his exercise and he says, I haven't, I haven't been exercising. I haven't been in the gym, you know, in a year or so or whatever. I said, great. I said, I'm not playing whack-a-mole with your emotional uh, roller coaster. You are, you know, and again, we always have, I always have this agreement with my clients. They can say yes, no, or renegotiate. So your homework is, you know, for the next two weeks before you and I talk, you will go to the gym eight times between now and the time you and I talk. And you're going to send a picture of yourself in the gym to me. And you're going to work out at least eight times between the next time you and I talk. He said, deal. He comes back and he said, oh my God. It is, it's like, it's what a difference. I said, yes, I am not going to coach a, a professional athlete, you know, a guy who's, whose body is meant to be moving. He may be basically an ADHD five-year-old to be a corporate citizen unless you have an outlet. So go hit a heavy bag, go do something, you know, and he's now, he's now three months into it, lost a bunch of weight, you know, feels great about himself. But you know you got to you got to figure out what's going on with people before you can before you can play the whack-a-mole with with those behaviors. Yeah, it's, I, I think one of the things that we all struggle with is, you know, everyone doesn't think they have time, but yet if you take the time to do those things that take care of yourself, it buys you time on the back end. But it's hard to get your mindset around that. I have I, I coach the leadership team of of uh, a financial firm uh, who you know again eighty. 90 hour weeks traveling all the time, uh, no vacations, all that stuff. And, uh, I, co I coach, uh, three quarters of the team and I finally got them to start taking vacations to start taking weekends off. You know, I, I my, you know, all, most of my clients are men and I'm like, you must go on a date with your wife once a week. That's just mandatory. If you're going to coach with me, I'm not, you know, I'm the ghost of Christmas future. I am not coaching divorced men. Right. <laughs> like, uh, uh, so, uh, so, you know, uh, you, you're, you know, I'm going to save you half your wealth. And I know you love your wife, so you're going to go on a date every week. But uh, they started taking they're, they're started taking you know these vacations and these longer vacations, and they're you know they're working from Mexico or you know the, all these different places, and the business has grown. I've been coaching them for what four years now. You know the the business has turned into you know a 25 billion dollar business when they started out in the closet. By taking these vacations, by taking care of themselves, I, I had I actually met their wives for the first time recently, and I, I had dinner with them, and their wives said to me, uh, "Thank you for what you do. Um, you've changed our marriages." Now I didn't set out to change their marriages. I just set out to make these these uh, young men um, more well-rounded, you know, and enjoy life, and not make the same mistakes I did. And so let's use that example and just explore that a little further. So is it because they get out of the way and, and you know, they're not making things worse? Is it because they uh, make clearer and better decisions because they're more rested? Uh, what is it that that time away, I mean, obviously there's health benefits and we can all appreciate that, but what is it in the executive level that, 
that they do better to have the, the business grow and, 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 you know, do exactly what you described? Well, think about an Olympic athlete. You know, if they get a good night, let's say the week before they go out partying before their, you know, their big meet, no matter what, whether a swimmer, a runner, whatever they are, and they go out partying beforehand. You know, all that training, all that, all that knowledge, all that muscle memory, how good is that going to be when they've destroyed themselves, you know, for the days before the event? It's the same, it's the same thing here. If you're running yourself ragged and you're destroying yourself, you're just not going to be sharp. You know, how many sleep studies have you read, you know, how sleep deprived we all are? And, 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 you know, like most of us are, uh, what, what they say, uh, our, our, Collective IQ has gone down 10 points because of the lack of sleep that we're getting. So we're just we're just not we're just not as effective. The the, the it, has, it wasn't lost on me. My biggest year in sales was the year I was training for the Marine Corps Marathon. Right? I was taking I was taking several hours a day to train, and I had my biggest year by far ever financially. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So you just have more energy, you make uh, better decisions, your your mind's clearer. You're more, uh, but you're, you're more creative, you're more open to relationship, right? More things happen through relationship than anything else. You, you're into, you know, like, I, I don't usually bring up intuition, but your intuition, you know, you start to have these ideas that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, it's amazing how many executives will tell you that their best ideas come during a run or when they're on the stairmaster or they're doing some exercise or something like that that you know they um you know it's not sitting at the desk forcing yourself to to think you know it it comes when you let yourself um uh, go a little bit so to speak oh yeah only always like i how many times have you run to a, run to a microphone or run to a whiteboard when you know from the shower going i have an idea for a podcast or i have an idea for this Absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about, let's say that, uh, you know, the stuff has become, uh, known to you now, or someone like yourself has pointed this out and, and I'm trying to get to the next level. So how do I talk myself off the cliff? How do I get to where, um, you know, I can start to change things without feeling like I, I'm a failure. I, I, I need a, I need a little bit more. So you know, what, you, what you're saying is, you know, if, if someone's really stressed out at work, how yeah, do they or, start or, to change things? Well, let's say I hire you and I'm one of these executives that is just overwhelmed and I'm doing too many things and I'm dying on every hill and doing all the things you described earlier. And I finally realize that, okay, this is, uh, this is where I'm at. So what can I start to do? How can I, uh, how can I make that difference so that I can get off this uh, fast running train? Ha. Huh. That's a good. That's a good question. How? Because usually, usually what I do is uh, uh, a, you know a three a three sixty review with the organization. You know, so I get some feedback on what you know their 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 exact challenge is. Uh, so, but you can do that for yourself. You can see. You can look. So usually, if you you can look at your whines and your complaints and your resentments. So if you if you actually sat down and you thought what am I what am I really pissed off about where am I a victim of all of this right oh my god they give me so much work or my pe or my people just never never step up to the plate for me that resentment uh, that comes up is a clue 
that I haven't I haven't done what I needed to do in that area. So I have a, if I have a resentment with someone, it means I either haven't set a boundary or I haven't asked for what I wanted. Uh, so I look where I'm really angry. So if you're angry at your people because they don't support you, you're the leader. Now you can sit down and go, okay, how is this my responsibility? How did I create this in my world? How did I create a team that doesn't give me work that's, that's, that's good, that I have to stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning? And you start to look at that and go, okay, now, if my behavior of doing, you know, taking on their work, not holding them accountable to good work, not doing the coaching, uh, is, is, is contributing to this, where can I start? And I, you, know, you can't do anything in the future, so don't say you're going to just change this. Take one specific thing. Someone gives you a presentation, someone gives you a report, and it's not up to snuff. Now you, now you, now it's time for. Now you have to make that decision to give feedback. Say, you know what? This report is great. This works. This works. This works. This is where it's missing some key things. Can you please take care of that and bring it back to me by a certain date and create an agreement of when it's going to be back and what it's going to look like. And you may have to go through several iterations, but just take that one step of starting to raise the level of your team and hold people accountable. That's the first yeah. place that I would start. And you're and you're mentoring, you're you're coaching, you're 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 helping uh, people that that you're leading learn and grow to do the things that uh, will hopefully uh, take some of the pressure off you because they will get better and learn more and and see what needs to be done and and be a big, be a better part of a team than, than what was happening before. Right. There's a book I give to uh, to every young leader that I that I meet. It's called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay Stanier. One of the best books I've ever read on how to uplevel your your leadership skills immediately as a new leader. And it's basically how do you talk to the people who come into your office with problems, with challenges, with all kinds of stuff, and how do you how do you help them work through it on their own so that you're not taking it on? It's a great book. Yeah, that sounds great. So, uh, speaking of books, you have written have written two. Um, the first book was called Mastering Overwhelm, and then the second book is Only Tens 2.0: Confront Your To Do List, Transform Your Life. And I also hear you're working on a third book. So. Um, uh, Tell us your process and what are you trying to do when you, when you write these books? It's funny because so, so that that first the, the the only tens book was a book I wrote for myself. You know, uh, I was you know I was newly a coach. I never I didn't realize that being a coach would be is being an entrepreneur, right? You know, so do you think you know you 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 were, were did you start out as a physical therapist? I did. Yes, I was a physical right? therapist for many years. So this is and, my uh, and you're, my, and my you're, next career. Yeah. Right. But you but you grew you grew up. You you became a businessman. Right. And less and less your job was physical therapy and more and more your job was business and leadership and all those things. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I when I left when I left sales, uh, my one of the great things about being a sales guy, especially with ADHD, is you have an asshole sales manager who keeps you in line. Right. Never underestimate a jerk for a, uh, for a manager to keep you in line. Um when you come work for work from home and work by yourself, you no longer have anybody telling you what to do. So I didn't realize that becoming a coach meant I was becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, so for me, getting things done every day was really, really tough. Uh, and I decided I wanted to get myself a PhD on how to get things done with ADHD. Uh, so I, I started writing this book and I wrote the book and I wrote the book for myself. 
I uh, wrote the book for myself, and I thought maybe my mother would buy a copy. Yeah. And, I, and I published the book, and 1,500 copies went the first day. I put it on Amazon for free to, you know, for a couple of days, <laughs> and 1,500 copies sold the next day, and 1,500 copies sold the day after that. Then we started charging, and it was still selling. Uh, and you know, one thing I didn't know is I needed uh, a copy editor. Uh, never knew that. So my book, there's 50,000 copies of this book out with uh, typos and gra grammar that would make a third grader gr cringe. Uh, but, <laughs> okay. but people, uh, other coaches were like, I give this to my executive clients. I, I'm like, you do? Like, yeah, these are brilliant strategies on how to get things done, how to, how to, you know, how to delegate, how to do all this stuff. I'm like, that's crazy. So my publisher actually had me rewrite it. So now it's, uh, we're at about 75,000 copies so far. Uh, and, um, I rewrote it with client stories and kind of what I've learned of coaching in it for several years, but basically it's how to not be codependent, <laughs> how not, you know, how to pay attention to your own stuff, how to tell the, you know, so the tagline is you don't have a time management problem. You have an honesty problem. And what I learned was I just wasn't honest with people. I wasn't honest with people of what I was willing to do, what I was capable of doing, what I had bandwidth to do, what I wanted to do. I was, wasn't honest with myself about what I wanted to do. And I started getting honest. When you start getting honest, you start setting boundaries. When you get honest, you start saying no. When you get honest, you start focusing on your own stuff rather than everybody else's. And that's, that's, that was the beginning and the, the premise of the book. Yeah, that's great. And so are you the type of writer that, that sits down and just uh, cranks away at it? Or do you write when you're uh, inspired? Or what, what's your what's your actual process? Of, of my, actual process my actual process is I have to have a published date. Uh, and then I have to write to the published date. Otherwise, I will never get it done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, once, I, once I pick, uh, oh, it's going to publish on this date. Uh, I will procrastinate and I will I will I will have trouble and then I will I will get it all done. So this next book I don't have a published date uh, for you know specifically because it's a distraction from the parts of the businesses that I'm trying to build. Uh, so I, I I promised my own ma my mastermind I wouldn't write my next book until I got these other businesses up and off the ground. Uh, but it's 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 in there it's in there ready to go and when I do I will hire a coach who has a deadline for me and has milestones for me to hit uh, so that I have a sales manager to make sure I hit those goals. So you're a, you're a coach, but you hire a coach yourself at times. I always hire coaches. I, uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I, I used to be a guy who didn't want to ask for help. And now I realize if it's a 10, if it's really important to me, then I'll, I'll either hire someone to do it or I'll hire someone to help me do it. I have an accountability partner that I talk to every Monday. We both talk about what we're going to do this week. Uh, we commit to it. And then we talk on the next Monday. How'd you do on those things? What's still outstanding? What support do you need to get something done? Uh, never, I'm never, uh, if something's important, it's worth, it's worth getting the help to get it done. Yeah, that's awesome. So are you enjoying what you're doing? Are you having fun? Is this uh, the, the, the career that you wish you had all the time? You know, when, uh, when uh, someone when someone tells you they've never trusted another human being as long as they live, and they tell you their deep dark secrets, and you move their life forward and you move their business forward, uh, you know how could you not love what you do when you impact people every single day? For me, I, you know it's it's not work <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. 
the marketing and all the marketing and all that, you know, that other stuff that comes with being an entrepreneur and trying to create a brand and a business, you know, that's work, but the actual, the actual, you know, working with people to be their best is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I feel privileged and I feel like I should pay people <laughs> to let me do this. So what do you do for yourself? Uh, it sounds like you love what you do. Your business is growing. You're selling a lot of books. How do you make sure you don't hit that overwhelm stage that we talked about earlier? Oh, I, <laughs> I take lots of vacations. Uh, I have two dogs who get a lot of my attention since my kids grew up. I got a saltwater fish tank. My kids asked me why I have a saltwater fish tank. I said, because you grew up and I need to take care of something. Uh, I, I, I exercise a lot. I just, uh, I just got my scuba certification. So we've been going on scuba trips. Uh, I walk, I do, I do walk my talk. Yeah, that's awesome. And are you, uh, you just said you're, you're almost 60. So are, are you thinking of slowing down or are you just, uh, going strong? No, uh, uh, I've actually made a, made a, I spent a lot of time. I'm going to be 60 in a, in about a week. And uh, I, I spent the last six months really contemplating because, again, you know, I was the midlife midlife guy. Now I'm heading into my 60s. Uh, you know, now I'm the geriatric guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to see what, what what's important for me next. And what's important for me next is to deepen all the practices that I learned over the last 20 years to deepen those spiritual practices, to deepen my connection to source, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and to really see how much of an impact I can make with, you know, being myself. I had, I had a coach who once said that he, you know, he, he, he wanted to see if he could make money being himself. Uh, I want to see, I want to, I want to see what I, what I can, what impact I can make with what I've learned, uh, in this, in this very, you know, peaceful, you know, and by the way, I call it peaceful, but, uh, I'm an introvert. So, you know, uh, I'm on podcasts, I'm on video all the time, I'm on stage all the time. So I have to go out and shore myself up because this is important to me. So that's not peaceful. Uh, my, my road warrior, I, I, I've had more speaking gigs this year than ever, and I don't plan on slowing down because uh, I, I just, I just want to meet people and see if I can change lives. You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of people have ADHD, and, and I'm just wondering if, if I can ask this question, if it's not too personal. But do you think it's it's helped you uh, be successful in your life, or do you think it was a, a burden that you had to overcome? Both. Both. Um, it's, it's, you know, I sat down and wrote a book in 90 days. I wrote a best-selling book in 90 days. That's part of the ADD. Haven't, you know, not able to get my group program, you know, website up and put that together. That's the ADHD, right? Like that, you know, so it goes back and forth to the frustration of when I get distracted or when I, when, when things that would be simple for someone else are harder for me, but it's made me unbelievable. I'm unbelievably creative and, uh, uh, you know, and interested in everything. Cause I, you know, I just scratch, you asked me, what do I do? I also paint and I draw and I like, I have so much going on in life. I, you know, enjoy everything. So it's, it's a, both a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just have to say that, you know, having not met you, but listening to you talk and your energy and all that, uh, you don't sound like an introvert, but you've mentioned that several times that you are an introvert. Yeah, I learned that, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to, like, networking meetings are really tough for me. I like being on stage, 
and I like being one on one with people. But going to a going to a room for a cocktail hour with people, it just sends you know I I just I just shut down and uh, I can't wait to go home. So I have a I have a strategy for that. I, I go to a, I go and I decide I'm going to have three deep conversations. If I make three connections and talk to three people in a substantial way, I get to leave. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. I think I've always envied those guys that could just walk in and, and work a room, you know, and they're just like go to person to person. And it's, uh, yeah, and I, I, I tend to be more like, um, I guess, uh, as you just described, talk to a few and if people come up to me, that's awesome. But it, it's harder to, to just reach out and, and work a room, so to speak. Yeah, so I, I just work with my strength, which is, you know, going going deep with someone. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mark, usually at this point in the interview, I always ask my guests the same question. And that question is, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today? Uh, to embrace the fact that your job is more coach than anything else. Uh, you know, do, I've just seen leader after leader balk at it, think it's a necessary evil of their job when it is actually the most important part of your job. And if you can embrace the fact that you're your coach, a coach and, uh, and hone those skills, not only will your organization run better, your daily you know, life will be more rich. Yeah, well, very well said. Well, Mark, this has been a pleasure talking with you today. I uh, learned a lot. Uh, sounds like you've got a lot to, to give and a lot of energy to, to, to get out there in the world. So I, I appreciate your time today and, uh, uh, wish you the best, and um, uh, it's been nice uh, chatting with you today. It was great getting. Thanks, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles and Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles and Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles and Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orangetheword.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.